Our next retreat is finally here. It's called Adventures in Energetics, and it's happening November 8th to the 14th, 2024 in Boquete, Panama. This seven-day, six-night retreat in the beautiful cloud forest of Panama is going to be a unique experience. This program is a not-for-beginners retreat. And what I mean by that is you will actually have to fill out an application before you will be accepted to be able to register for the program because we are going to be doing more advanced level energetics and I need to make sure that everybody who comes is actually ready for the work. We will be doing a Kundalini awakening. We will be doing group visioning process called a spiritual canoe. We will be doing daily presence practices and working on expanding our energy. We will be doing daily rituals. This process will be related to specifically the people who are there because in addition to filling out the questionnaire about what your experience is, you're also gonna ask for what it is that you'd like to learn. So part of the curriculum for this is set and part of it will be designed around the desires of the participants. I only have 20 beds available for this retreat, so it will fill up quickly. So this is the time to register. Do not wait. To find out more, go to kellysparta.com forward slash retreat. I look forward to seeing you there. Another blood red sunset and yet another moon face and still another hundred miles to my next resting place. Driving down the road, eyes on the horizon, within my car I'm all Feeling good and feeling strong Knowing that this path I'm on brings me to myself I'm driving Hey now all, I'm Joey C. Welcome back to another episode of Spirit Sherpa. This is the show that helps and encourages you on your journey to unlock your magic mojo. With me, as always, is the spirit doctor, Kelly Sparta. Hey, Kelly. Hey, Joey. We have Kathy back with us again this week. Hey, Kathy, Hi, how's Joy. it going? Um, it's going well. I'm having fun. Okay. We're, we're going to get deep again, I think, on this one. We're talking about the ethics of magical practice. Yeah, that's a big one for us. Yeah. Kathy and I talk about this a lot, and, and it's because, you know, a lot of people don't. So what does that mean in general? When we're talking about the ethics of magical practice, what are we talking about there? Well, you know, and it's, it's just like any other ethical practice, right? If, if you are violating another person's privacy, their space, their free will, that's probably violating ethics. This is how to be a good person and a good magician at the same time. There's another piece that I always talk about with it, and that is to steward responsibly that which you are given and return it when required. And by that, I mean, when you are a, a shaman, a magical practitioner, a ritualist, whatever it is, you're standing in a, in a place where people look to you to guide them at certain points in their journey, particularly early in their journey. And that often means that they unconsciously turn over because they don't yet own it, their power to you. So you are holding this for them. It is not yours. It is, it's not mine. You know, when people give it to me, it is not mine. I have to steward their power for them, hold it responsibly. And when in their path of growth, they have reached a point where they are capable of taking it back and of owning it, I hand it back without any strings attached, without any fight for it, without anything. It's their power all I was doing was they were hanging it on me for a while, and I was recognizing that and giving it back. 
and I see a lot of big practitioners out there. Well, I shouldn't say a lot, but I've seen enough over time where people hang their power out on them and they suck it up and go, oh, yes, I am all that and a bag of chips. Mm -hmm. And what they don't realize is that's not really their power. It's people giving them power that should be stewarded and handed back when the people that you're working with reach certain points in their process. Yeah. And that's, for me, a, a huge ethical violation to keep that power and not give it back. When they own it like that, and they say, this is mine, and yes, I am a bag of trips, you know, then when the person goes to take it back, they're going to fight them for that because it's going to reduce the way that they feel about themselves to let it go because they've owned it in the first place, right? And people, people only do that if they haven't done their work. If you already know that you're all that in a bag of chips and you don't need somebody else to tell you that, then when somebody else hands you their power, you go, oh, look, yeah, okay, I'll hold that for you until you're ready to hold it. You let me know when you're ready and I'll hand it back. No problem. Because I don't need that to validate me. We've talked about the people who teach from a place of the level three work versus teaching from a place further along in the, in the process, right? If you're coming from that level three place before you've learned to surrender, before you've done your internal work, before you've done the work that takes you forward into wisdom, then when someone hands you their power, you go, yes, thank you, more please. Mm -hmm. And that's a dangerous place from which to be on both sides because you're dependent upon other people handing you their power if you're the person teaching. And if you're the person handing over your power, you're going to have to fight somebody who's more advanced than you are to get it back. And they get mean and nasty when you do it. They'll tell you that you don't have a right to have your power. They'll do everything in their power to keep it because it's how they keep their value. Which is unethical. Oh, beyond unethical. <laughs> yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's, it's irresponsible and unethical and ridiculous. And a statement that, you know, they're teaching from, you know, a level three understanding rather than, you know, having done their internal work before stepping into that space. We talked in a previous podcast about the, um, the indigenous shaman, the story I told about, you know, walked people down into the underworld to confront their deepest fear and then didn't know how to get this one woman back. Just wasn't within her skill set. I think there's, a, there's an ethical consideration in being mindful of your audience. Yeah. Okay. She wasn't taking her own indigenous people through a guided journey. She was taking a bunch of conference goers at a consciousness conference into a guided journey into the underworld to confront their deepest fear. There's an, there's an ethical problem with that in my book, because that's not something you should be doing to that group of people. It certainly isn't responsible to them as an audience. Right. And not in that space either, because in a conference room scenario, people are coming and going from the room and there's no safety there and there's no one to catch them if they fall. So there's a conference leader who does a fair amount of shamanic work within their conferences. They have a tendency to walk people through really massively transformational experiences that that can shred people's auras and can put them in places where if they don't have some help with integration, they're not right when they're done. And they have uh, no one trained on staff to seek out these people. And they're doing it in large group environments of, you know, the hundred, 300, 500 people at a shot. 
and there's not enough people on staff, period, to even see if this is happening to each and every person. And that none of them are trained at all in helping people to integrate. And so, you know, I've been in environments in these training programs where I literally had to step in and repair someone's aura because she had rent it through and just completely shredded it and was halfway out of her body when she finished her experience and was staring blankly into the air and going, I don't know what's going on. And there was no one there to put her back into her body that was on staff. And in fact, I had a staff member trying to shoo me back into the room while I was fixing her aura that they had helped her to screw up. That's really unethical. <laughs> it's really irresponsible. These are the sorts of things that, that you want to pay attention to as you're walking into spaces is to, to realize what is the support structure that's available for you. You know, and on the other side, I've been to to workshops where there are 60 to 80 participants and two main facilitators and 20 people on staff. That's an environment that has a lot of support because they need to, because people are going super deep, because they're facilitating a specific kind of environment. I don't mean to say that you have to have 20 people on support staff in order to run a 60 or 80 person event, but at the very least, you should have one person for every 10 people right. so that everyone keeps monitored. We've talked before about the ego of the practitioner. Right. I think when it was when we were talking about energy healers, you had uh, given some, some advice to say, look, if the, if the healer says to you that they're going to tear out all your blocks and, and just get you back out there without even understanding what those blocks are to run from that person and run very quickly. Is that a case of ethics or ego? And is there a difference? Well, the ego fuels the requirement in their own being to say that they're going to clear all the blocks because that's an ego-based statement that says, look at me, I'm so awesome, I'm going to clear all your blocks. But to actually do it when some of those blocks are necessary, that's an ethical violation. So okay. it's both. But both are equally as harmful. It, well, yeah, both both result in the same process, which is harmful. Then there's there's lesser things that people don't think about, but they ask ask you to do all the time. So uh, I recently was a volunteer reader at a charity event, raising money for a, you know building schools for girls in Africa. And when you do that, people come in and they say, oh, can you check on my mother? Can you check on my sister? Can you tell me what's going on in my relationship? And the first question I have to ask is, do you have your mother or your sister's or your partner's permission for me to look? Because if you don't, I'm not looking because that's a violation of their privacy. It's like walking into somebody's house and reading their diary without their permission. It's the same idea. And if the person's a magical practitioner, it could be dangerous, especially if you're not very good <laughs> because, you know, you come in and violate somebody's field without their permission and they have a clue about their energy. They may smack you energetically and they could smack you in such a way that could limit your ability to be able to see in the future. There's different things that happen. So I had, a, I'll give you a couple of examples I was doing readings years ago. God, this was 20 years ago. And a woman walked in from behind me who was trying to figure out if she wanted to have a reading from me. And she was a really talented, natural psychic. And she literally just projected herself into my head and said, 
I wonder if she's any good. Is she any good? And she's like digging through my head. <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I didn't have my boundaries up properly at the time. It was 20 years ago. I hadn't figured it out yet. And I turned around and I looked at her and I said, yes, I'm very good. Now, please stop that. Do you want a reading or not? <laughs> and she was just floored. She had no idea that she had actually been rooting around in my head. It was just a natural ability that she had. So I had to educate her on the ethics of that. If she had hit somebody else, I could have taken her consciousness and just snapped it back into her head so hard that she would have been blinded for a period of time. So, you know, those are the sorts of things you have to be really careful with. And then that's the sort of thing that I see from people all the time that they don't think about. It's like, that. it's one of my main complaints about, uh, what's her name? The woman from Long Island that does the readings for everybody you know, just randomly walking up to them on the street. She's doing this without permission. She's getting the information before she gets permission. I'm just like, oh my God, that's such an ethical violation. Really? Okay. But, ah, so these are the sorts of things that we're talking about is you shouldn't know things about other people without their permission. So a lot of what we're talking about here is an ethical violation is a violation of boundaries. It's looking when you don't have permission to look acting when you don't have permission to act, taking when you don't have permission to take, if you have their power, not giving it back when they ask. There's a lot of boundary issues in all that. There's also unethical behavior wherein, and this used to happen a lot many years ago, not so much nowadays, I, th I would hope, but I'm not in that scene anymore, is that, well, if you wanted to have the, the big shaman guru, you know, work with you and you were a nice looking young woman, you had to sleep with them. I mean, that's a, that's a different kind of ethical violation. It's still a boundary trespass, mm -hmm. but um, it's more of a manipulative usage of the energetic construct that is also an, an ethical problem in terms of how all that works out. You don't, magical practice in an ethical way is a service that helps people grow and transform in positive ways that is compensated for like any other service and has clean and clear boundaries about permission and about what's allowed and what isn't allowed. And uh, when ego gets in the way, when the practitioner hasn't done their own work really well, there's all these other things that come and trip you up, which is again why, and I think it was when we were in the podcast where we were talking about rituals, we talked about that we didn't want to work with ritualists who hadn't done their own work first because it would be unethical of us to put a ritualist into a ritual to interact with participants if we knew or suspected that they were going to get triggered by the participants' responses because that hurts everybody. It hurts the ritualist. It hurts the ritual. It hurts the participants. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a negative all the way around. And there's another piece that's a very subtle difference that I see happen in very rare occurrences, but I feel compelled to mention here. One of the stages of spiritual development is surrender. And occasionally, rarely, but it does happen. I will see a teacher twist the concept of surrender from what it should be, which is surrender to the universe, right? Allow yourself to be guided by your guides. And they will twist it to surrender to your teacher. Hmm and allow me to make choices for you. That should never be the case. It should never be a surrender to your teacher. It should be a surrender to the universe. 
And if you hit a teacher who ever says that to you, run, 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 run in the other direction, because that is someone who is likely not just being unethical, but in those cases, they often morph into cults and that becomes a problem. I want to ask a question. We've talked about don't take power without permission, but what about healing? If you're a, a healing practitioner, is there an aspect where you can, with the intent of doing good, heal without necessarily having the permission of the person? Somebody says to me, my mother-in-law is very sick. Can you send her some distance healing energy? Is there an ethical boundary there? Yes. So if mom is a devout Catholic who does not believe in energy work and would not want the energy sent to her, then to do so and to force it upon her is a is an ethical violation. And you know, that's not the only example, but that's an example. So if you as a practitioner don't know what the mother's scenario is and you've been asked to send healing, you can send the healing to the higher self of the mother and allow that higher self to determine whether or not it receives it. And that is not an ethical violation because that allows the higher self to say this is for my best good or this isn't for my best good. Maybe I need my illness and I haven't gotten what the gift is from the illness yet to be healed. So I don't want to receive this yet. I totally agree. The highest and best good usage to higher self is about the only way you can do that at a distance without a specific request. Yeah. And even then, sometimes you have to feel into where the request is coming from. Right. Because there are times when, as Kelly just mentioned, an illness has a message. And if the message hasn't been received yet and the, and the person is resisting the message, if you actually do healing work on them at that time, what can happen is it's going to circle back around and it's going to hit them harder the next time so that they can get the message, which they have entered to get entered into this process with the illness to get. And so if you do healing work now, you could actually be causing more harm later on. Yeah. So I'm going to say this, but I want to preface it with uh, a very strong statement. And I want you to really put yourself through this litmus test before you do what I'm about to suggest. Because if you have not done your work and you get your value from providing healing to others, then you cannot trust yourself to get a proper answer to the question I'm about to, to show you how to ask. Okay, so if, if you feel like, oh, I have to help this person, you know, oh, I'm compelled to help this person, that's not, that's not spirit talking to you. That's your ego saying, look at me, I'm awesome enough that I can do this and watch me do it, okay? So I want to be really clear with you about the differential between these two things, okay? Okay. So there are times when you can reach out and ask permission energetically from the person. So I was asked by a friend to provide some support for a sibling of hers who had been in an accident. And the accident was so severe that the awareness of the person was even scattered because their aura had been shattered. And so I had to go and pull the aura back together enough to get an answer as to whether or not I was allowed to work on this person because the aura had scattered. And once I got the aura 
solidified enough, it wasn't rebuilt yet, but it was solidified, then I could say, do you want to stay or do you want to go? And I was told that they wanted to stay. And so I did the work to rebuild Biora. But had the person said to me in that moment, no, I don't want to, I don't want to go through this. I want to go. I would have let them go because that was not my decision to make. It was not my friend's decision to make. It was that person's decision to make. It was their sibling's decision to make. So you have to be really clear before you can do something at that level. You have to be really solid about what it is that you are able to hear as a response before you choose to engage in that conversation or else you will force something upon someone that they don't want. And there is karma to pay for that. So be very careful before doing that. You know, in that environment, if you know you can't trust yourself with the answer, then send to the higher self and allow the higher self to make the decision and distribute the energy as appropriate. And you may even want to set another donor. So when I send things to people that I'm not sure if they're going to accept it, I say, okay, if they deny it, then send the energy to the person closest to them in physical proximity who is willing to receive it so that the energy doesn't just sit out there and dissipate and it can go to somebody who's willing to receive. Does that make sense? It does. And it seems like that is a really important lesson for people to learn as they go into that field of practicing specifically because there's an emotional detachment component and it's not emotional detachment as much as it's recognizing the difference between what you want and what the the higher self or what the person who you're trying to give it to wants. Yes. Your friend asked you to do something for them because they were hurting bad and they wanted what was best for their sister. But ultimately, if she had come back and said, no, I don't want this, you would have had to walk away despite what hurt that might have brought to your friend. Yes. And that's a really, really important and probably a very difficult lesson to learn, even beyond just the egoic piece of it, just the how do I do what I know is going to hurt someone that I care about? Well, and, you know, you also have to decide how you're going to deal with that. Right. Because, you know, my friend is conscious and would have been able to hear me say that the sister said no, but some people aren't. And in that case, you say, look, you know, I, I did the best I could. We'll see what happens. Yeah. And that's true. It was the best you could mm-hmm. because you weren't allowed to. So you don't want to end up putting yourself in a position where the person says, I hate you. You didn't do anything. <laughs> don't right. do that. Just say, I did the best I could. But yeah. it comes at a question, is that giving them all of the information they needed to hear in that moment? And I suppose that you need to know whether or not they needed to hear, whether they're conscious or not, that this person didn't want to come back. Yeah. And usually... Unless you have somebody who's really conscious, when they're in the throes of the panic and the pain and the whatever, it's better to just say, look, I've, I've done the best I can and, and let's just cross our fingers, you know, yeah. because you can tell them later that they chose not to stay once they've already passed and they've gotten yeah. through that. Um, and then you can say, look, you know, they told me they weren't going to stay. And I just, I didn't want to take away your hope when you had it because, you know, who knows, maybe, maybe somebody came over from the other side and changed their mind. I didn't want to take away your hope. Kathy, what were you going to say? Um, I was just going to say that this all shifts slightly when you're talking about children. Yeah. Because it is ethical to have parents ask you to work on minor children, not adult children, not when they have reached the age of majority and are responsible for themselves, but when they're still small, when they're minor children, when they are dependent upon their parents for survival, basically, a parent does have the right and it is ethical 
to ask for work done on a child. And I would say that from the time they hit the age of reason, which is the age of seven, it is still wise to get the child's permission just because they are at the age of reason and they do have a choice. And again, there's a balance there to be had between, you know, being the parent who doesn't have any discipline versus the parent who's over-disciplinary. It's the same concept of the parent who asks no permission versus the parent who won't do anything without the child's permission, even though the child, you know, what's, what's being done is in the best interests, right? So, and I would say that the other scenario in which skipping over consent is relevant is in the event that someone's possessed because they are no longer able to offer permission because they've been subsumed. And so there's no way to get a answer from them if they've been fully possessed. Now that's different than somebody who's cohabitating by choice with another creature in their body. I've seen that happen too. If they're making that choice, that's their choice. But if they have been taken over by something, then, you know, the, that is, you're not going to get them asking you for help unless they happen to fight their way to the surface to ask. So yeah. that would be the, the one exception to that rule for adults. And I just want to clarify when you said before you were talking about the age of reason for children being around seven years old, that's developmental Yes. Uh, age. It's not some federally mandated age <laughs> of consent element. This is actually the government does recognize seven as the age of, of reason from a when you can hire them and pay them perspective. So there is federal precedent for that. But yeah, it's not a it's not but an it's, age of consent in that regard from a from a federal perspective otherwise. Right. But it's, it's founded on neurological development. Yes. Um, exactly. In children. Yes. Right. So, but in the cases where you're working with someone who may have a development slowing ailment of some kind, whether it's Down syndrome or something like that, does that change that age of consent component? I think it would depend on the scenario. Mm-hmm. And I think it would depend on what they were asking for. Yeah, I, I th- it's a case-by-case basis in that sense. And I know that's an incredibly specific question, but I ask it because I, I think it sort of highlights the the element that you've been talking about all along here. And that's, you don't want to do things that you're uncomfortable with. And right. you just have to make sure you're doing it with the intent of the person and the permission of the person with whom you're working in as much as possible. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, you brought up Down syndrome. Down syndrome people tend to to be rather high functioning in terms yeah. of an, an, an awareness of energetics. Right. And so I would most likely not work on a Down syndrome person without their express consent. And that comes to, to you understanding and knowing. Yeah. So, you know, I, you check in energetically, you see if they have the capacity to, to answer the question. And, you know, you talk to their higher self and you talk to the parent and you talk to, to the person and, you know, you make your best call. Yeah. And you act from a place of integrity. Yeah. Integrity. Exactly. Exactly. It comes from, from you understanding yourself and, and where you're coming from as well. Yeah. Wow. This was another good one. I think we're done though. What do you guys think? Any last words? I like Kelly's instructions to run, run, run. If you're up against a magical <laughs> practitioner that is being unethical, do not hang around. They aren't going to fix you and you aren't going to fix them. And I see people all the time that are interacting with unethical practitioners. And I just think, okay, they have a lesson to learn and hopefully they'll learn it without too much damage. Right. Well, and and there's the other piece of it too, which is that 
there's a part of us when we're early in our process that says, well, I have to turn this person in and I have to make this right and da 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 And, you know, if the person's doing things that are illegal, by all means, turn them in. And, you know, if you want to leave a review, that's up to you. But know that these people serve a purpose in the greater scheme of things, too. And I've had countless people over the years come to me and say, yeah, I had this really miserable experience with this really unethical person that I worked with. And I got this amazing awareness of myself out of it. So that again, is that, that stepping out of the good, bad perspective on things, right? It's the, you know, is this right or wrong? Is this up or down, whatever. But you know, sometimes things, people are someplace for a purpose. Sometimes the pain they're experiencing is there for a reason. And that's true whether they're having an illness that is teaching them a lesson or whether they're interacting with someone who sucks and that's teaching them a lesson. So, you know, again, there's been, it's been very interesting because, you know, for years I've been hearing calls on Facebook that, oh, we need to standardize shamanism and, you know, whatever and blah, 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 and, you know, certify and blah, 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 which is just laughable in the shamanic community, just so you know. Shamanism is not consistent enough across practitioners to even begin to try and certify it or anything. But I hear this and, and people are mostly trying to protect people. And I think that education is the best protection, which is why I'm doing this podcast. And so, you know, you, you are educated. If you choose to share that education with others, if you want to pass the podcast along or just the knowledge that you got, great, fantastic, share the knowledge, you know, and, and it's not always yours to fix is what I'm saying. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's okay to just walk away and not engage and you don't have to fix it. Okay. You know, some things you can't fix. Some things you, you don't have any control over. You just go, mm, not doing that anymore because it's not yours to do. And that's part of the work that we do in learning what to take responsibility for and what not to take responsibility for. And, you know, you take responsibility for your actions, not for the actions of others. And, you know, if you keep that in mind and you follow your gut and you keep yourself safe and you educate yourself before you walk into any environment, then, you know, you're probably going to be okay. Good stuff. All right. I think that's all we have for this week. Be sure to join us next time as Kelly adds yet another chapter into your beginner's guide to energy, magic, and the spirit world. I'm Joey C. here with Kelly Sparta and Kathy Shiren, and you have been listening to Spirit Trippa. So long, everyone. Bye. Bye-bye. Each mile I travel over 13,000 now, so I'll leave behind a little fear. Spirit Trippa is the sole property of Kelly Sparta Enterprises and is distributed under Creative Commons BY-NC-ND 4.0 license. For more information about this licensing, please go to creativecommons.org. Any request for deviations to this licensing should be sent to K-E-L-L-E at K-E-L-L-E-S-P-A-R-T-A dot com. That's Kelly at KellySparta.com. To sign up or to get more information on the programs, offerings, and services referenced in this episode, please go to KellySparta.com. This episode of Spirit Sherpa has been produced by Honu Voice Productions. Are you waking up to the spiritual world and realizing that you have no idea what you're doing? But you feel like you kind of probably should, especially since 
you seem to be seeing things and feeling things and having things see you that maybe aren't so great and that you might want to actually control your experience of that. Well, I have great news for you because our Welcome to the Woo program does just that for you. It teaches you how to hold your energy field, manage your energy field, clear your energy field, protect your energy field, and learn how to protect your space. And you learn how to do basic divination and talk to your guides so that you feel like you actually have a clue and have a way to talk to the guides that will help you to figure everything else out. And it teaches you how to make sure that you feel mentally, emotionally, and energetically safe. That means that we also deal with things like fear and anxiety and worry and dread and self-doubt and inner and outer judgments. And we help you build a foundation of self-support and courage. All of these things together create a solid sense of safety in your own life. They will reduce your stress levels in half, guaranteed. So visit the website at kellysparta.com and find out more about the Welcome to the Woo program. Your future awaits.